This episode of Perhaps It's You is dedicated to Marissa Rivera, who recently passed away after a brief battle with breast cancer. She was a dear friend of mine, and even though I don't believe she was a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, she was very supportive of people following their interests with intense passion and being total weirdos. I miss her a lot, and this episode is for her. Hello and welcome, friends and enemies. It's perhaps it's you. We're back. And no, that's not a new third co-host. This is Samantha. I'm here with sexy, deep voice Samantha, <coughs> here to make all your dreams come true. I have an August cold. I don't know what happened. It's horrible. She's claiming she's fine now. She was basically just like, yeah, I'm fine, except that I'm sick. <laughs> she was like, I'm fine, except I'm losing my voice, and I have a cough, and I can't sleep, and blah, 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 blah. Well, but I'm fine. To be, to be fair, the cough is what kept me up. It wasn't a separate symptom. But yeah, this I'm actually a lot, like I'm a lot better. I don't feel like I'm going to die at any moment. So I'm considering myself improved from like, the weekend. Well, I got sick just in time for it to be like the most beautiful weekend of the year in Minnesota. <laughs> we get like two and we've already had like two. So I don't think we're getting any more. And I missed it because I was literally coughing up a lung and napping all weekend long. I mean, it's, the napping part's good, but you can't even really enjoy it when you're sick is the thing. It's not an enjoyable nap when, yeah. you're, when you're sick. I yeah, was like... It's a clammy... I was just moving nap. from one headache to another. <laughs> it would be like, the cold medicine would wear off, the headache would come back, I'd take more sleep, it would come back. It was just this horrible cycle. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. You've been sick before. It's horrible. So I'm probably going to have several coughing fits. I'll try and edit them out, but I apologize in advance. Samantha like, insisted on recording today so we didn't miss another week because she's a workaholic. And I was like, really, who cares? But she's like, no, I'll crawl out of my grave. <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries must be recapped. <laughs> this mediocre episode must be talked about. She's like, we rewatch and we're serious about it. So here we're we are. We're serious podcasters. Do we make $200,000 a month? No. No. But, but also, how are we going to get there if we keep we're, have August colds? I don't know. We're also not currently involved in a plagiarism scandal, to my knowledge. Currently. Currently. No. I don't know that anyone can get us for... Uh, reading unsolved wiki because there's they're not actually attributed to anyone but we do we do rely on unsolved mysteries wiki i i think everyone knows that but just so you know yeah thank you to the people who probably reading unsolved wiki with our own notes and our own commentary it's not word for word but the unsolved wiki really helps because sometimes there's extra information there i'm kind of bad with people's names sometimes too so so thank you to the people who update that resource yeah thank you and this is unnamed internet yeah thank you internet and also did you know this was unofficial extremely unofficial don't sue us don't represent unsolved mysteries or anyone involved in any way no and we never just we never will i'm pretty sure they hate us some dummies with a podcast i don't know yeah i'm we're just here samantha has a sexy deep voice I, I hope it sounds sexy and not grating she's ready to more grating than it usually is do we have any updates i actually have a huge update okay someone, so do i you go first <gasps> someone alerted me i believe this was actually solved last year but i don't know where i was and i don't know <coughs> the matthew chase oh yeah murder has been solved this is one that I don't know why exactly, but it stuck with me. Matthew Chase seemed like a super cool guy. He had that really 
chic friend Teresa Teresa fashion icon Teresa Mm -hmm. and it was just a case of a guy late at night going to use an ATM like you do and he ended up being mugged but like kept for a few days because like many of us he didn't have any money so the mugger was like disappointed he wasn't getting anything out of the ATM but it was like his check hadn't cleared and it's like yeah we live paycheck to paycheck what do you want from us I know it was so upsetting and I think we talked in that that episode we where we covered it where we were like well it's never gonna be solved so that sucks there was that creepy like there was a very sketch creepy. of the the side of that guy's face, face that was so, they so had creepy a very grainy 80s atm <coughs> video photo of the mugger standing behind matthew chase but it was really just a silhouette and it was grainy as hell so they had that evidence they also had a bandana that was very specifically labeled for the gang most playboys it literally said those playboys on it they didn't uh, want to say that they in the didn't episode. want to say that in the episode for some reason but anyway so basically they just knew that it was probably someone from that gang but they didn't know who and it was all very sad it turns out that that case was solved late last year um and yeah here we go from unsolved mysteries wiki solved on September 17th, 1988, three months after Matt's disappearance, his remains were discovered in a ravine in nearby Pasadena. However, the body was not identified as Matt's until March 29th, 1989. And we talked about that at the time. There was a delay in getting his dental records, and that's why it took a while for the body to be identified, which is unfortunate because his family was, like, holding out hope he was still alive. And I don't know. It's all very horrible. But the cause of death was a gunshot wound. So what they found out is that the killer was actually killed shortly after that. Oh. So they believe Matt's killer was 29-year-old gang member named David Bear Meza. And ironically, he was shot and killed on a street corner in the Rampart area on June 10th, 1988. Just two days after Matt vanished. Wow. It is believed that he was killed by other gang members. When interviewed by police, man and his girlfriend and identified him as the man seen in the ATM surveillance photographs. Other circumstantial evidence has linked him to the crime. Although the possibility of accomplices sorry, can't be dismissed, the case is considered closed since the main perpetrator is deceased. Yeah, so this has apparently brought a bit of closure to Matthew's family, and we're thankful for that, and... I don't know. I'll always remember that one because it's just a very easy nightmare to put yourself in that situation. I mean, it was senseless no matter what, but... It's so senseless. Like, Mugger, he didn't have the money. Move on. (coughs) There's no reason to kill him. He was just trying to live his life. Yeah, and he seemed like a really nice, cool dude. And and his family loved him and his friends loved him. And Didn't he take a blow-up doll to prom? I think he took a mannequin. A mannequin to prom? Yeah, because he was... Because he was just, like, the class clown. He just was a Ferris Bueller yeah. of his school. <laughs> everybody loved him. And muggers, sometimes people don't have money. Yeah, most of the time they don't have Guess money. Guess what? We're all poor. Yeah. If move, we're walking around in the street, we don't have money. If you're going to, like, deposit your paycheck in the middle of the night, you're probably not Richie Rich. Yeah, no. So, it's just mm-hmm. so fucking senseless and terrible. But I'm glad that Matthew's family gets some closure and that that case can be kind of put to rest. Though, God damn, that took a long time. Damn, it really did. That's too bad. Do you have any other updates? That's my only update. What's okay. your update? A really important update. I have located... I didn't locate. We have located 
the Starburst gummy, what I called Starburst gummy worms, but are actually Starburst gummy snakes, which I think is why I couldn't find them. My husband found them, and I brought them for us to eat. So I'm going to have one, even though I probably can't really taste it, but I'm going to eat one anyway. You may know that Samantha has been begging our Australian listeners to sell her, send her these Starburst gummy quote-unquote worms, apparently snakes. Apparently they're snakes. Here, I'm going to pass them to Liz. You can try them. And that you can't get here for some reason because no. this country is terrible in so, every way. My husband has had like snack pen pals over the years where he like Which is makes amazing. friends with other people in other countries and they exchange snacks. That's so anyway, oh he'll my send God, them. This is so Aren't good. good. So we had a friend in Australia that he met through doing this and they sent us a bunch of snacks and in them were these Starburst gummies and I thought they were worms. They're actually snakes. They're so delicious. This, like, is so, this is even better than I imagined. And I searched the earth for these things forever, and I couldn't find them. I think it's because I was Googling. Years. It's she was talking about this for years, Literally folks. since, like, season one of this podcast. We um, came on, we demanded free mattresses, and then Samantha was like, by the way, someone hooked me up with these, these snacks. These gummies, they're so good. And oh my god. No one was able to find them, I think, because we're all looking for gummy worms. Apparently, they're gummy snakes. My husband found them. I guess you can buy them on Amazon. It was as easy as that. And... I'm sure he paid too much for them because they were like imported or whatever, but they're so good. This so, is a sign of true love that he got this for you. I know. I was so excited. It was like in the depths of my illness. And then I got these gummy snakes. He was like, oh, Samantha, best surprise ever. No. And you're like, no, I can't have sex right now. And he's like, don't worry. <laughs> Starbucks gummy snakes. snakes. <laughs> you're right. That is the best surprise ever. <laughs> Oh my god, they're, damn, they're good. Better than sex. That should be their little tagline on the gummy yeah. snakes. I don't like that mascara, which is just, like, okay. Not even, yeah, not better than sex. No. Got guys having bad sex. Yeah. They're good. If you can find a blue one, they're extra good. What? Yeah. I, had a I ate left. a lot of blue ones, but if there's any left, I especially I recommend. Well, that's purple. I mean, they're all good, but. Well, I touched it. I gotta eat it now. I mean, yeah, we can eat the whole bag. It doesn't matter. Mm. Welcome to snack hour. <laughs> We're back with Is snack that a podcast? hour. Because Where why- they just eat different kinds of snacks. Why didn't we do that? That should have been our podcast. We had so many better ideas than Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast but now we're stuck <laughs> we're just stuck with it we're stuck with it anyway that was all I, <laughs> that's the, that's the most important update of all time thanks to every one of our patrons who attempted to join us on a watch party like last week oh yeah that was, was fun though it was fun for those that were able to join i'm hoping that we used to use a website called rabbit from time to time people that subscribe to our patreon have the ability uh we'll offer a, a digital watch party and you can get a link and you can join us and watch us we'll stream a show and you can chat with us but there's really like only one uh, website that lets us do it it was called rabbit and they went out of business and then got bought by this different website we attempted to use it it, it didn't go super smoothly it's it didn't not work good not as good i'm hoping they improve the website or other websites like make that feature available if anyone knows anything we were using cast it didn't go super well and people with max couldn't participate so if you were able to join we really appreciate it i'm glad i hope you had a good time um we'll do more in the future hopefully we can so figure out like how a, yeah a better way to do it i mean it worked for those that were able to participate but i think some people weren't so anyway you can join our patreon patreon.com slash perhaps it's you we offer extra things like that from time to time all um, right are we ready to get started i guess sicky samantha yeah i'm gonna cough really quick okay do it all right so we're on Season 4, episode 8 of Unsolved Mysteries. And I sat down to watch this the other day. 
And I was like, oh, it'll be nice to get back in the saddle. Watch some Unsolved Mysteries. It's been, a little, it's been a minute. And then it started off with Pearl fucking Harbor. And I went, no thanks! Can I just turn this off right now and take a nap instead? I mean, it, I can't imagine what kind of mystery you would have for Pearl Harbor. But somehow this was like the worst possible. I don't know. This was so boring. I hate this. I, like, I clearly on. a hoax. Like, I don't know. There's nothing about this is mysterious. Wherever that person is that wrote us a review that was like, if you want to hear people complaining about the thing they supposedly <laughs> like, here we go. Because I, f- I fucking full on hate this. I think it's disingenuous. I think it's kind of like cruel. I just. Yeah, nothing about this. This, not, this first one this is, is good. like The episode gets slightly better, so hang in there. But And if I had one, been better prepared, I would have had Rochelle come in, our resident history nerd, so that she could like lay some facts on us about Pearl Harbor. But. Of course, I was doing this last minute. We didn't do that, and we didn't, you know, we don't do any research. <laughs> so, also, we don't know what we're doing, and blah, blah, blah. But I did have lunch with Rochelle the other day, and I brought up that I had to talk about this. And she was like, oh, what do you need to know? And I was like, nothing, because I fucking hate it. <laughs> and I have no questions for you. I'm just bitter. And she was like, well, maybe you could just mention that it wasn't really a surprise. And I was like, oh, that's a good thing to bring up since Robert Stack refers to it as a surprise attack like 12 times. Mm -hmm. Multiple times. I'm sure it was a surprise to the people actually at Pearl Harbor. Oh, sure. But the U.S. government had been warned by the Japanese government several times that something was going to happen. And they were just like, yeah, 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 and didn't take it seriously at all. And then when something did happen, they were like, who could have known? (laughs) Not us. We certainly couldn't have prevented it. Oh, dear. And I just hate this chapter in history because I feel like it's just used as an excuse by racists to be racist. So, yeah, it's not really something that I wanted to talk about. But here we go. (laughs) This is an unexplained because a woman under hypnosis knows a lot about the Pearl Harbor attack. Super explained, actually. But and I literally just wrote down no explanation point. (laughs) She also remains anonymous and goes by the name Sharon Johnson. So in a way, you kind of like can't even confirm any of her claims because we don't even really know who this person is. And I show yourself, Karen. (laughs) Come on, come on, Becky. (laughs) Quit sitting behind that black shadow. So I just that was extra irritating to me for some reason. And then. Robert Stack being like, we call her Sharon Johnson. I was like, you gave her a fucking fake last name? (laughs) Why? Sharon. Show yourself, Sharon. Sharon! Fess up to your weird hypnosis story. So, she originally went to get hypnotized for weight loss. Okay. Great. I remember Lily Allen once talking about that she got hypnotized to like exercise. (laughs) That wouldn't work on me. Which I think is kind of brilliant if that would actually... (laughs) But I feel like... Isn't hypnosis not really make you do things you don't want to do? Right? I don't... Yeah. I think you have to, like, at least somewhat want to... Like, you can't... Like, quit smoking. Right. Right. Like, the the example they always give is you can't hypnotize someone and be like, go out and commit murder. Right. Like, that's not going to work. So I don't think you could hypnotize me into liking exercise, because that's just, like, not in there, you know, to pull out. (laughs) No way. Anyway, so during those sessions, she was recalling a memory of smoke and fire, and she realized that she'd been having these nightmares since she was a child, and she would wake up coughing. (laughs) And apparently she lost 30 pounds, the only type of success Americans care about, but the dreams remained. Yeah, those strange smoke dreams. Twist. She goes on vacation with her hypnotist. 
Okay, this is our first indication that this woman is all in on this hypnosis bullshit. She's, like, following this guy around. He must have a small following. He's taking them to Hawaii. He, so it was, like, her hypnotism, and not, not just them. Like, I don't think it was a romantic getaway, but it was, like... No, it was, like, a group of them. They probably them. follow this guy. You know, they're, like... Yeah, like, it's he's sort a of like guru. The, yeah, exactly. It's, like, the new age thing. Yeah, so they go to Hawaii together, and as part of that trip, just as, like, a fun, you know beachy vacation they decide to go to the pearl harbor memorial i mean because you could be drinking a cocktail on the beach but why not so they go to the pearl harbor memorial which gives her an anxiety attack and she asks to be hypnotized so they go which also i just i don't know this is about war and death it's gonna give you anxiety i think she was just looking for an excuse to make the story up or maybe that's where she got the idea. I don't know. Yeah, I don't believe anything this woman says. So she gets hypnotized and then <clears throat> speaks as if she's John Gillespie from Omaha, Nebraska. And I didn't even write this bullshit down, but she remembers a bunch of specific names and events from that day. And we're supposed to be really impressed as if Pearl Harbor isn't like covered to death. Yeah. As if this is like an obscure moment in history no one knows anything about. There was, I'm sure you're going to talk about the expert that comes in. Yeah. Who's like, yeah, everything she supposedly remembered under hypnosis is available in like multiple books. Yeah, there's no, like. Nothing about this is secret. The names of the people who were involved are everywhere. There's no one that you people don't know about. Yeah. This just reminds <coughs> me of a tiny little story, which is that Max's grandma passed away at 102. She was super old. She had seen everything. The doctor that delivered her seriously came on a slide. Like, think about it. <laughs> think about how old you are if you were born at the turn of the century. But her husband was in the Air Force. And so she knew a lot of the people, like, involved in Pearl Harbor. I don't know. Oh. But they took her to see that movie that came out a okay. while ago. With, yep. Like, Alec Baldwin, I think. I don't even know. But as she was leaving, she was like, that guy didn't look like that. He wasn't that tall. That was, like, her one comment. <laughs> The casting was off. She was like, I knew that guy. And everybody was like, oh, shit, you did, didn't you? Because you're so old. <laughs> anyway, so then I wrote down that the hypnotist is creepy. Look, she just gives us, like, first-person account that they're on Pearl Harbor, and then the planes start coming, and bombs are dropped, and people are running around screaming, and oh whatever. God. And she says the name of the people who died, as if no one knows that information. And then, conveniently, when she's asked, like, specific information, maybe people wouldn't know, like, John Gillespie's service number, all of that information has been was in this thing that burned down. So no one can confirm that shit. The only things that can be confirmed is the stuff everyone knows. Yeah. And the second indication that she's all in on this hypnosis bullshit is she's like, I had never had a past life regression. So this really took me by surprise. Like, she knows the lingo. She's like... She really wanted to have a past life regression. Yeah. This was just her first one. Yeah. Um. So the hypnotist records 20 sessions with her before she's going to see if any of the details are true, which seems like a lot to me but at this point i'm just better maybe that's that's like do you do one a day or multiple a day i, I have mean no, he doesn't look into anything until they've recorded 20 okay so then they go and they're like oh several of these details could be confirmed but it's also like yeah okay so someone named john gillespie was there i bet i could just find that out mm -hmm. and then the hypnotist is like no, no, she never read anything about Pearl Harbor. She just wasn't interested. Yeah, the hypnotist literally says that she hated the topic of Pearl Harbor. And I was like, she didn't hate it that much. She fucking went there on vacation. 
<laughs> doesn't sound like the attitude of someone who hates it to me. Yeah, he's like, she'd never read any books about it. She actually hated Pearl Harbor. Well, okay, I'm you not going to believe you. You're... You're the one that's hypnotizing her. Like, what? how am I supposed to believe you? Yeah. And, yeah, so then they talk about the records burning in a fire, and so none of the actual, like, specific details can be confirmed. We do learn there is a John Gillespie, and he was from Nebraska, and bullshit like that, but... I'm you you cannot convince me that she couldn't have found that information even pre-internet. And then I wrote down a skeptic comes on and says reasonable things. Yep. <laughs> I don't even know who this woman is, but she's very reasonable. She's like everything she's saying can be corrupt. Like you can find that in multiple books. She could have just read a book. Yeah, it's also I mean, I guess maybe she wouldn't know people's names, but I also feel like it's a topic that you don't necessarily have to sit down and research to know about. Like, it's going to be caught, talked about in school. It's going to be on fucking PBS. I don't know. It's just, like, in the ether. You yeah. can just know about it, the, right? The Old skeptic- people are at the VFW talking about this right now. <laughs> the skeptic also, like, watched his hypnosis sessions and was like, well, first of all, he asks leading questions. He really does. And then he guides the subject down paths that they wouldn't necessarily have gone down if he hadn't influence where he's like and then you saw the planes so she can say yes instead of what happened next yeah so So that's suspicious i think robert stack wanted to talk about pearl harbor or the producers of the show (coughs) and talk about i suppose robert stack probably didn't really want anything except his paycheck but someone involved in in unsolved mysteries was like you know what old people like to talk about pearl harbor and they found a way to do a pearl harbor mystery even though there's really nothing mysterious about it and i just think it sucks and i hate it it was pretty bad the end. All right. Let's, let's talk about a mysterious, an unexplained death that's not unexplained because it's a murder. <laughs> Is your, did you pick an MVM from this segment? I picked an MVM from, I, I think, the next one. Okay. There Mine's was a guy that had one. very round glasses and a very distinct looking mustache. Oh. I, I expected that you were going to draw a picture of it. I don't think so I, I did. don't quite remember what it looks like, but I'll, I could get a screenshot for Instagram. I have one from this one, and I don't even remember who it was. I just called it <laughs> Small Fry, because it was, like, kind of too small for his face. Okay. Yeah. But who was that, Liz? I don't even know. I honestly... There was, like, a detective in some mystery <laughs> that had a mustache. <laughs> it was always... <laughs> Let's call this episode, There Was a Detective in Some Mystery. I cannot be responsible for what I say today. My no, I know. It's so hard to think when so you have a scrambled. So, I'm going to try not to sniffle in the mic. I'm sure people will love to hear that. Okay. So, this is the unexplained slash explained death of Roger Dean. On the morning of November 21st, 1985, a masked intruder broke into the Littleton, Colorado home of 51-year-old Roger Dean and his wife, Doris Jean, who goes by DJ. At around... Because she's cool. Yeah. The way Robert Stack says DJ, though, is always... He, like, he puts so much emphasis on the J. DJ. 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 Like, Robert Stack, why can't you talk normal? Like, just DJ. <laughs> he's he's enunciating. He's using DJ. His, his, his voice as his instrument. It's so distracting. DJ. <laughs> At around 7 a.m. is when the intruder broke in. Roger called D- DJ out of the bathroom. <laughs> I'm sorry, I won't keep doing that. And she came face to face with the gun-wielding intruder. He forced Roger to tie up and blindfold his wife. He then took Roger to another room where they talked to each other in hushed voices. Unfortunately... (laughs) The way most robberies go. You know when people break into your house and then you, like, call them over and you're like, 
No spoilers, but have you seen the end of Game of Thrones? <laughs> you just have like a casual conversation. <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Shh. Oh, my wife hasn't watched it yet, but wasn't the end of that bonkers? Well, she's tied up on the boat. We should really talk about this. <laughs> Unfortunately, DJ could not hear what they were saying. A few minutes later, the intruder returned, demanding to know how much money DJ had in her savings account. He then looked through several drawers and left the room after hearing a noise. Roger told him that he had $30,000 at the bank. The two left to go to the bank, but as they were leaving, for like seemingly no reason, the intruder uh, shoots at Roger. He misses, striking a banister. But then um, he sh- ends up shooting Roger multiple times, point-blank range in the chest. Uh, Roger tries to run from the assailant, assailant and collapses in the street and dies before first responders can get there. The killer fled the scene in his car, leaving his mask behind. Also, okay, the outfit this intruder is wearing is hilarious. He is wearing <coughs> a ski mask, like you do, a trench coat, but then, like, jeans and sneaks. <laughs> and then is like, he's hopping over he was a, a hardcore scrub. Yeah. He he's also like, at least in the reenactment, like super tall and lanky. Seems like he's maybe 19. <laughs> it's like at that age where you're like all limbs in an Adam's apple. <laughs> and then he's like hopping over a hedge in broad daylight wearing a ski mask and a trench coat. All right, look, you might think, oh, you guys are very mean to be making fun of this thing where this guy died. Yeah, except twist yeah well, there's a twist coming so from the start investigators were struck by several oddities surrounding this case roger had twine fiber embedded in only one of his wrists meaning that he had never been tied up by the gunman also he had been wearing contact lenses when he was shot in an upstairs bedroom police found his glasses with duct tape attached hmm. giving the appearance that he was blindfolded investigators believe that roger hired an individual to come to his home abduct him take him to the bank withdraw $30,000 from his account and leave him somewhere with the $30,000 to himself. Investigators learned that in the year prior to his death, Roger had taken nearly $30,000 from his business and deposited the money in a private account without DJ's knowledge. Seems like a suspiciously suspiciously specific amount of money. Also, when people break in your house to steal your money, maybe if you're like a billionaire, they ask how much you have in the bank. If you're just a person, they're not like, take me to the bank and get your money out. Yeah. That's way too risky. Yeah. Also, you might be like, I don't know, $150. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really worth it. Like, what is what is going to happen? He's going to drive him to the bank and sit in the car, and the guy's actually going to come out with the money? Yeah. Or is he going to go into the bank with him wearing a fucking ski mask? <laughs> it's not a well-thought-out plan. The investigators also learned from neighbors that Roger was seen in his garage at 7 a.m. the morning of the murder. This was odd, because on weekdays, he normally left the house around 6.15. This led investigators to believe that he was waiting for the gunman to arrive and that the opening of the garage door could have been a signal to him. In the reenactment, they literally show him leisurely pacing around the garage, sipping a cup of coffee and like <laughs> looking out for someone. <laughs> like, this is someone who apparently was Eugene and like up, ready to go out of the out house. Of, yeah, out and the instead, door. he's just standing there in his garage, drinking coffee, looking yep. out at the street. Yeah, and it's not like like he was supposed to be at work. Like his he wife didn't know he was late or whatever. Sitting around waiting to get held up <laughs> with his contacts in so that when he wears glasses it won't matter. Yep. Roger's family Oh Roger. However, You're not good at planning crimes. 
No, not it's pretty. He was pretty obvious about it. Uh, Robert's family, however, could not believe that he was involved in his own death, which that's the weird part. It's like, why would this guy kill him? Like, he was literally just hired to be a pretend robber? Yeah, I guess that's just, the part that it went poorly. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Somehow it went awry, or maybe he just got the wrong person to do it. I don't know. They tried to move on with their lives. Then, five years later, on July 21st, 1990, DJ received a threatening letter from someone claiming to be the murderer. The author demanded $100,000 from her, claiming that if he did not receive the money, he would kill her daughter, Tammy. DJ and Tammy notified the police and the FBI. They believed that the letter writer was indeed the murderer, so they put the two under protection and surveillance. On July 27, 1990, the extortionist called as planned, demanding money that Roger owed him. The FBI traced the call to a phone booth in nearby Denver, Colorado. However, the extortionist was gone by the time the police arrived. Do you think the letter is from the murderer? I don't know, because we've had so many cases where people are just, like, taunted by random yeah. strangers. Um, this easily could have been someone that just heard about the case and decided he was going to try and extort money out of them. There's no... They don't tell us why the FBI is convinced this is legitimate, and so I'm not convinced, because I... I don't know why they thought that. And it just no. seems like any person could have said this. It's not like they had his handwriting to compare the letter to or his, you know, remember his voice. I don't know why they don't tell us. And so. they also say that they thought the letters were written by a man and a woman working together, which just sounded like weird sexist bullshit to me. Yeah. And they don't say why they came no. to that conclusion. Was it two different handwritings? I thought it was typed. Oh, well, that makes even less sense. <laughs> I mean, a raised eyebrow from me, for sure. Yeah. After nearly a dozen phone calls, the extortionist told DJ to go to the, a supermarket. That's too many phone calls. You're bad at extorting. I know. And, I mean, these this poor woman and her daughter, they were terrorized by this person. He kept threatening Tammy and saying things like, because so, their son died, uh, which is heartbreaking. One of the things DJ says in her interview is that, like, yeah, their marriage wasn't great, especially since their son died, but, like, she she didn't really think that Roger right. would have been involved in something like this. So that's sad. Her son dies. Then her husband's killed. So she just has her daughter left. And this extortionist will say things like, your husband's dead. Your son's dead. All you have left is your daughter. Don't like, let you, her die, Are too. you going to risk her life? So he's terrorizing these poor people. And she seemed perfectly willing to, to give them this money. Right. So it's just like, why are you calling a dozen times? I know. Get over yourself. So the extortionist told DJ to go to a supermarket 20 miles north of her home and wait for further instructions. With an FBI agent hidden in her car and surveillance vans nearby, DJ attempted to lure the extortionist into a trap. After a few minutes, a phone call came at the payphone nearby. The extortionist gave her instructions to where to drop the money. He told her to leave $100,000 in an alley behind an apartment complex in downtown Denver. Which was wrapped up like a big block. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, duct taped box i don't know that she just threw into an alley i wish i had been i wish i had been in that alley even though i would have gotten arrested by the police immediately (laughs) yeah at 10 p.m on august 19th 1990 she left the money at the spot indicated by the extortionist he later called tammy at her home claiming that they did not follow his instructions even though they definitely did he also he's just bad at this whoever this is which made that actually the part that made me think it wasn't actually real yeah. it was just someone taunting them. But also that other guy seems bad at fake robberies. So well, maybe-, maybe there's a connection there. <laughs> they were like, we're convinced it's the same person because he's stupid <laughs> as hell. 
so bumbling. <laughs> is this Fumbles? <laughs> Maybe it is Fumbles. He was let out. I don't know Fumbles when. Fumbles on the prowl. Fumbles is out and about again. So he also said that he would hurt her because of it. The bundle of money was never picked up, and the extortionist never contacted the deans again. The dean family still hopes that the murderer can be found. Um, so, yeah, they described the suspect uh, as a white male. He was between 20 and 40 years of age in 1985. His car was believed to be an 80, 68 Pontiac or a 78 Oldsmobile. He is believed to have an extensive vocabulary, is something Robert Stackett said at one point. I don't know if that I meant swears no. or... <laughs> no, I think they mean the letter. Like, oh, maybe. They were like, this is above an eighth grade level. I'm so <laughs> impressed. So, investigators have noted that they have both DNA and a partial fingerprint. However, they have yet to receive any matches. Uh, it remains unsolved. Unfortunately, the extortionist never carried out, or fortunately, <laughs> the extortionist never carried out his threats against DJ and Tammy. However, he was never identified, nor was the gunman that killed Roger. Investigators no longer believe that the extortionist and the killer were the same person. Ha! I knew it. He got several of the facts wrong when contacting the deans. Investigators have no noted- put that together right away look i mean oh my god waco all over again does just, just the fbi liz what do you expect yeah seriously okay it, uh inc- okay they know that he made several uh investigators have noted that they have several suspects including the son of roger's secretary whom he allegedly oh, had damn who, who okay this is getting juicy including the son of Roger's secretary, whom he allegedly had an affair with prior to his murder. Roger. The man matched the description of the killer and was angry with Roger over the affair. (gasps) Police stated that they have not ruled him or his mother out as suspects. Another theory police have investigated is the possibility that the killer knew about Roger's embezzlement from his company and planned to blackmail him. Investigators also noted that there are at least six suspects in the case that they have yet to collect DNA samples from. I don't know what the fuck they're waiting for. These <laughs> suspects have refused to have their DNA collected. Decades okay. go by. I will get to it. <laughs> Hide in a dumpster like the guy with the Golden State Killer or whatever. Oh, damn. I don't think they were hiding in a dumpster, but they pulled his his saliva off a cup, didn't they? Oh, uh, yeah. If, if you, you know, trash. jettison something, then the police are welcome to it. If you, <laughs> if you put something in the trash, even if you're on your own curb, if you're like, no, I don't want this anymore, and you toss it, then the police are welcome yeah, to they it. they can come get it and get your DNA. There's a really great forensic files where they get DNA from, uh, like, Dairy Queen uh, oh. spoon and cup, and the narrator is like he enjoyed a frozen treat known <laughs> as a blizzard <laughs> because, oh what yeah never heard of that oh no, a blizzard, <laughs> which is some really great viral marketing because then i'm like mm, i do want a blizzard i kind of want a cotton candy blizzard now they're okay. so good that was a great twist in that case i did not see coming Multiple about those twists. potential suspects i feel a little bit bad for making fun of roger so i apologize for that well okay the episode doesn't paint roger in a very flattering light maybe it turns out he wasn't involved he was killed by this guy he was having an affair with oh man who knows who knows but i'm gonna blow my nose and (laughs) then i'm gonna eat a gummy worm and then we can continue okay sorry a gummy snake i wrote down for the segment that robert stack looks clammy what i didn't (laughs) sorry i got a little it's okay. I was just going to talk while you're gone, but that actually makes no sense. Instead, I'll drink my beverage. Okay, I'm back. Robert Stack looks... 
I clammy? wrote that Robert, Robert Stack looked clammy during this segment. I think he had a cold too, and you might have caught it from him. Um, that's could have been it. <laughs> I also wrote that the music in this segment is particularly good. So if that's something you're interested in, it's like some in, smooth jazz. It's 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 also did, on point. Was there an update in this segment from a mystery we've never seen before? No, we have seen that mystery. It's the Joe Smith case. It's the guy who I swear I don't remember it. It's because they did a really bad job of letting you know what case it was. It was that person that was renting out his house and he came home and that guy had like murdered his family mm. and then attacked him. But turns out it was him. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. But they did not do a good job of like no refreshing your memory a on terrible that. job but anyway we get an unnecessary update about that joe smith case which we've already talked about we already <coughs> know all that stuff so then we move on to a case i really enjoy this one was good this this mystery itself this one segment gets five out of five robert stacks yeah this is a fraud this takes place in las vegas where robert stack tells us money flows quickly and easily <laughs> thanks robert stack thanks stack this is the case of Liza Montgomery, and it goes back to right before Christmas 1990. The new hero of this podcast. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that this woman is my hero. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get some flack for that. But look, when you're dealing with a lot of cases that involve horrible violence, gruesome deaths, sometimes a woman comes in and just steals a bunch of crap, and you're like, I love her. <laughs> it's so nice to not talk about you know, a dead child. You that's, know what I mean? I think that's where we're where we're at. Where right we're now. at. So I was like, Liza <laughs> Montgomery, you've stolen a lot of money, a lot of furniture, and also my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert Stack tells us that she was an eccentric young woman and that she was an and she was involved in a bizarre and most remarkable shopping spree. <laughs> I really like that he called it a shopping spree. I know. And I think that <laughs> was... just running around town stealing from people. <laughs> it's not really of, shopping, Robert Stack. It's kind of sexist, but also I was like, he did give it a little bit of an air of glamour. Also that she was always wearing a fur coat. But <laughs> she was wearing a mink coat all the time, even though it looked really hot I don't know, it's Las Vegas, which never I mean, it's in the winter, that cold. But like, I no. think it's too warm for a mink coat. During the day? Yeah. No. So she... The first... Her first... Uh, robbery is that someone has placed an ad in the newspaper look it's the past selling a mink coat and a diamond ring this guy with the butt this guy could have been mvm with his his mustache and his white pants i think i was so captivated by liza did i didn't notice even, any mustaches did he even have a mustache i don't know i feel like he should have had a mustache if he didn't <laughs> his soul wanted a mustache yeah. if he didn't have one on his face yeah <laughs> maybe he shaved it off just for tv possibly so she shows up wearing a I don't. She's in a brown fur coat at first, but she's going to buy a mink fur coat and a diamond ring, which someone's just selling in a newspaper and thought they weren't going to get ripped off. Which he did demand cash, although he compromised and yeah, so accepted she, a money order. So she shows up with a cashier's check, and he's like, uh, "Liza, I said cash," and she was like, "Yeah, I know, but the bank was closing, and that's just as good." And yeah, back in the day, like people did trust cashiers' checks over personal checks because you would go to the bank or the post office and you would buy them with money, and then they would give them to you. But in this case, hers are fake, so it's yeah. not actually it's not actually any better. Um, so she. She th- she goes outside. She's like thanking him, telling him to have a nice Christmas. But he's suspicious that she just throws the mink coat this into her what, convertible. What made him suspicious? She just tossed the mink coat in the back seat. Like, like she it meant nothing to her. And I was like, yeah, that's also how rich people act. Yeah, because it's just another fur coat to her. What does she care? Right. She's wearing one right then. What did you think of this guy's Christmas decorations? 
Oh my god. The like the little bells on his garage door. Oh, that takes me back. <laughs> Home alone times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then her next her next <coughs> robbery is that she goes to a jewelry store and she buys two rings that she had already picked out, but she goes to pay for them. As From like, Smiles Zebeda? Zebeda? What was this guy's name? This jeweler? His first name was definitely Smiles. Really? Yeah. His first name is Smiles? Yeah, it was like Smiles Z something. I don't remember his last name. I'm looking at the Unsolved Mysteries wiki and it's not helping me at all. I thought I sent it to you in a text. Why did I plagiarize this? This is not helpful. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, sorry. It just says that she arrived at a jewelry store and purchased two rings that had been selected the previous week. Once again, she paid with a cashier's tech, totaling $39,000. And the guy was like, oh, this is like such a nice Christmas present that you're getting both of these diamond rings. And she was kind of like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm worth it. You know, his name was Smiles Zepeda. I hope that's really amazing. Yeah. How could that not be prominently featured in the summary? Okay. So then the next thing is that she decides to go buy a bunch of furniture. Okay, Liza. Don't really get it. But she literally brings a truck. This, like, rickety moving truck. (laughs) And she gets $23,000 worth of furniture that they're, like, loading up into this van. $23,000. And it all looked ugly as hell, also. And, um... It, like, wouldn't fit in the van. Yeah, she was like, get it in there! Just do whatever it takes! And the furniture store guy, because this is such a big sale, is like, oh, we would be happy to help you move this furniture. Like, she had said it was a surprise Christmas present for her husband. Like, we could help you set it up in your home so he can come home and, like, see the surprise. And she's like, yeah, no. Just get it in my rickety truck. She was rude. I'm wearing a mink coat. You will do as I say. She was rude, and that is what made this yeah, guy suspicious. Yeah, so this guy was like, mm, she seems not on the up and up. So he decides to, this is amazing to me, he decides to follow her. He has a walkie-talkie. He gives <laughs> a walkie-talkie. Look, it's the past, everyone. It was hard to, hard to stay in constant contact. He gives a walkie-talkie to his wife, who's at the store by a phone, so he can follow her and she see where she goes. This walkie-talkie has some incredible rage, also. Yeah, seriously. It's like military a grade? I don't understand. Walkie-talkie, if you had his kids, you could, like, barely be on the other side of the house. Mm-hmm. I remember going up north for a vacation and we attempted to have because we took multiple vehicles and my cousins and i had walkie-talkies and we attempted to have like the cousins in one car have a walkie-talkie and then us in another car had a walkie-talkie but our walkie-talkies were such shit that they didn't have that far of a range and it never worked but we tried it every time our parents would be like it didn't work last time you just annoy us with your over and out (laughs) come in come in over and out it's so funny well, when we're both living on a street as old ladies in Anoka to pretend to be ghosts, we'll have walkie-talkies. I think we should. Somehow that just sounds more fun than, like, a cell phone. It's just cuter. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, he's, like, following this truck full of his store's entire inventory, basically, <laughs> down the street, keeping his wife updated on the walkie-talkie. Look, I don't manage a furniture store, <laughs> but if I'm suspicious of someone's check, I might, like, go to the bank. <laughs> or... 
this lady was was rude so he had to chase her down so he had to chase her down so that i i think there's an important lesson here when you're robbing from people be nice be polite wear a mink coat and be nice about it because otherwise (laughs) they're gonna be on to you i also forgot to mention so the person that she first scammed mark who was selling his coat and ring he was yeah that was pretty much why he was also suspicious he was suspicious because she threw the coat in her car so he went to the address that he had from the from the cashier's check. He asked her to see her ID. Yeah. He like, must have a photographic memory because he remembered her address. Yeah. So he goes to the address. It's like a gated community. So he pulls up to the gate and he's like, do you have Eliza Montgomery living at this address? And the nice old man at the gate is like, no, that address doesn't even exist. That's not real. And so he tries to call the police, but he hasn't actually tried to cash the check yet. So the police were like, we don't care. <laughs> like, that's like a clerical error at this point. <laughs> right. Like. When you find out the check is actually bad, get back to us. But at this point, you're like... You're just suspicious. You can't find an address. Yeah. That's not a crime. <laughs> so the police had heard of her, is my point. So this furniture store guy is driving around, following Liza, who's really just trying to have a shopping spree and have the best Christmas ever. <laughs> he sees her pull over and swap vehicles with a guy who has the convertible she was in earlier. So she gets into the convertible. The guy gets into the van they drive away. The furniture store guy is, like, updating his wife on that walkie-talkie and then his wife is, like, calling the police to tell them. And they're like, okay, this is, like, another suspicious incident involving this woman. I guess we'll go. But in a way, like, again, the check hasn't bounced. No crime has actually, like, really been committed. cars is not a crime. Yeah, the fact that you want to cram a bunch of ugly, overpriced furniture into a truck is not a crime. (laughs) So, he's, like, following Liza, but she, like, notices that she she's being followed and somehow he she's then following him and he gets scared at some point yeah (laughs) she jumps out of her car and then the quote from robert's deck is the store owner was fearful that this angry woman in a white mink coat might be carrying a weapon so he sped off i feel like that's robert's deck's way of being like what a total pussy (laughs) he was scared this woman in a fur coat was gonna hurt him so he sped away and so she gets away yeah, the police come at some point, and, oh, the police are following the van, but then, like, the van makes an illegal left turn. And, and the so cops then, are like, mm, what you gonna do? Right, so the cops just couldn't catch him? I don't know. I, I don't, don't really understand. I don't think they were, like, they went, but I don't think they were really that motivated. I mean, no crime had been committed, exactly. as far as they could tell. It's just weird so far. Right. Because nobody has bothered to try to cash these checks. <laughs> but, all right, so the, the, the segment ends with... Liza Montgomery, best shopper ever, still at large. <laughs> I'm a little bit sad to say that with viewers' tips, she was arrested. Yeah. The case aired November 6, 1991. She was captured and identified as Aline, Ellen Christine, and with the help of <coughs> Oregon police, who oh, a police officer saw the broadcast and was able to locate and arrest her in Hollywood, California. She pled guilty to burglary and theft and served time in Nevada, and she has since been released. So, um... wonder what happened to the mink coats. I mean, mink is cruel, but... But, I mean, those are... They're already dead at this point. They're already made. I wonder what happened to them. I hope she really enjoyed her furniture for the time that she had it. I hope she moved somewhere cooler for a a brief time so she could be comfortable in her mink coat. I have to say, so... Several times throughout the segment, they refer to Liza as, like, this fraud genius, and I don't really understand why. Like, they're like, and Liza was one of the best. And I was like, okay, I don't really get it. She was wearing a mink coat, so everyone thought she was rich. (laughs) 
I do think it's smart to do something like this in Las Vegas because it's somewhere where people are for short periods of time and do spend a lot of money. That's true. So that in and of itself is not suspicious. The fact that people didn't know her, they don't have an ongoing relationship with her, not suspicious. The fact that she's suddenly going to drop a large portion of cash right before Christmas, also not suspicious. Lots of people go to Las Vegas not just to gamble but to shop and have fine dinners and, you know, blow a ton of cash. So I think that she was smart in picking that out. She clearly seems like charming and if she hadn't been rude to the furniture guy i might have got away yeah she might have gone better i also think her mugshot is like definitely 80s glamorous very glamorous both we saw two mugshots i think they were both pretty glamorous yeah so you know what liza was living her truth and (laughs) i don't she was she was being herself and herself was a criminal i don't know (laughs) we're just glad she didn't hack anyone to pieces and put their head in a lake (laughs) yeah exactly or yeah abduct a poor innocent woman from a convenience store in the middle of the night which is what we got coming next okay oh i had a mustache from this too and i just wrote down mr scruffy (laughs) i think i remember that guy clearly i was like too too uh you were infatuated. Taken with Liza. She apparently stole over $150,000 in stuff. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a good shopping spree. Okay. So this is a missing person. Uh, this is the case of Deborah Poe. 26-year-old Deborah Poe vanished on February 4th, 1990, during the graveyard shift at a convenience store where she worked. Just after 11 p.m., a friend had stopped by to discuss house plans with her. She was working two jobs. I forget what she did during the day, but she worked uh, a day job. Oh, yeah. She was saving up. Yep. And then she worked uh, this overnight shift at the convenience store. She was wanting to buy a house and moved. I don't think she had big plans. Um... So this person stopped by who maybe was like her friend, but also like her real estate agent or something um, during her overnight shift. I kind of got the impression that maybe he fancied her a little bit. And so... Well, he was stopping by after 11 p.m. So... And then like again at three in the morning. Yeah. Which I don't know. Is that suspicious? Why was he back at 3 a.m.? I don't know. That's I don't weird. know. Maybe he's an insomniac, but he was like taking, I saw it as he knew that she was saving up to buy a house. So he was like, oh, you're interested in houses? Like, I can come by and talk about houses. I think he was just oh. looking for an excuse to talk to her. Probably. I don't know that that's suspicious so much as like, you know, he had hearts for eyeballs. <laughs> Probably. Probably more likely. They're coming for you. They know what you did. They know I'm, I'm guilty of having a bad voice on a podcast. <laughs> The word scribe ball. <laughs> All right. Police verified that she had waited on customers until 3.05 a.m. At 3.50 a.m., her friend came back to the store and found it empty. Yeah. When does this guy sleep? Never. <laughs> Apparently not. When police arrived, they found her work smock folded behind the counter. The cash register was locked and there was no evidence of a robbery. There also appeared to be no signs of a struggle. Her car was found parked in its usual spot and nothing appeared to be disturbed. Police soon determined that she most likely had been abducted. Deborah worked days at a local uh, local newspaper and nights at the store. She worked five nights a week at the store, always during the graveyard shift from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Ugh, that sounds terrible. Sorry about the sirens. It's just a little ambiance. Uh, she had moved to Orlando just four months earlier with her friend and roommate, Lori Tillman. According to Lori, she was working two jobs in order to save up money to buy a house and start her own business. Investigators into her disappearance have 
Uh, investigations into her disappearance have led to the possibility that she was the victim of a serial killer in the area. Hmm. Six months earlier, on July 6, 1989, Clerk Donna Callahan disappeared from Gulf Breeze. Five weeks later, on September 18th, Clerk Darlene Messer was abducted from Salt Lake City. She was later found murdered. And police suspected that they were all abducted and murdered by the same person. We get this, like, eyewitness account of someone who was in the store and thought that they were dealing with the clerk, but really it was this, according to the reenactment, fucking giant man. Wearing a homemade Megadeth t-shirt. Eight feet tall. He had, like, an earring and, and, like, long hair. Literally a skull ring on his finger, like all bad people do. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I need this pack of cigarettes. And he was standing back there like, uh, and she was like, they're right over there. But she thought he was a new clerk and didn't know where stuff was. Yeah, I'm not sure if he, like, took her money and, like, put in the cash register or if he just gave her the cigarettes and let her walk out. I'm not really sure. But what struck me most was that he was, like, ten feet tall the way they shot him in the reenactment. Yeah. it's Andre the Giant wearing a Megadeth <laughs> t-shirt? I don't Literally, understand. Like, homemade because they didn't have the copyright to show it. So it's just a black t-shirt that they wrote <laughs> Megadeth on. But literally, which is kind of amazing. I think he was just a stoner who wandered into this empty convenience store and some woman comes in acting like he's the clerk and he's like, all right, I'll get you your cigarettes, lady. I don't think he might not have been the why would he hang around? Yeah, actually, he's gone. Why would he just be milling around the store? And the police, to their credit, did say this doesn't mean he is a murderer. He might have been looking for the clerk. He might have been someone. Maybe he saw something. Maybe he was taking advantage of the situation to steal stuff, which is kind of what I would put my money on. That he saw the shop was unattended and was like, hey, great chance to steal some cigarettes, right? right? Like, right. Doesn't mean he's actually the murderer. So there's no known suspects, but one witness came forward and reported that she had stopped at the store during Deborah's shift. She remembered a tall man was working the counter during the 45-minute gap between yes, tall, two visits ten feet tall. from one of Deborah's friends. She noted that when she asked for a pack of cigarettes, he had difficulty finding them, but she had assumed he was simply a new employee still learning where items were located. No employees at the time fit his description, and he has never been identified. They went, yeah, we don't have anyone here that's 10 feet tall, so mm-hmm. it's not a, he's not on the payroll. Yeah, he was wearing a Megadeth t-shirt, a skull ring, and had one cross earring. Clearly a murderer. (laughs) What a rebel. (laughs) So, uh, this is unresolved. In 1996, police noted that they believed that the man in the Megadeth t-shirt was the boyfriend of one of Deborah's co-workers and was merely a witness in the case. However, they were never able to locate or question him. Police now have a suspect in Deborah's disappearance, but he has not been charged. In 2002, they searched an area near a church for her remains, but nothing was uncovered. Some have suggested that the man is her boyfriend's uh, Scott Leggy, but this has not been confirmed. Interestingly, he lived across the street from the area where police searched in 2002. Hmm. Although Donna's body uh, was found and her kill... Wait. Oh, Donna's body, she was one of the other missing clerks, was found and her killers were identified. Both Deborah's disappearance and Darlene's murder remain unsolved. There is some speculation that Donna's killers, Mark Reeb and William Wells, were also responsible for Deborah's disappearance. The two were together the weekend of the abduction and had a close relative in the area. The female eyewitness picked Wells out of a photo lineup and identified him as the man she had seen in the store that night. However, it has not been confirmed if the men are suspects in Deborah's case. Wow. I mean, it seems con- like too coincidental that all of these store cr- clerks 
like young, young women yeah. working convenience stores overnight disappeared in the middle of the night but that's a really sad one it's sad deborah seemed like i mean she had a lot going for her she was working a day sh- a day job and five nights a week she worked all like when did this woman sleep I guess that's how she met her friend who didn't sleep either. I guess. Literally, the wrote thing, last thing I wrote down <clears throat> for this was, what a fucker. Oh, no. That's really sad. Let people I hope live they- their lives. Don't abduct them and kill them. Please, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast and considering adopting someone, we beg you, please, don't do it. Please don't. Do something else. Do something. You can do anything. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Go get an ice cream split. A banana split. You'll feel yeah. better. Go get a cotton candy blizzard. If you're, <laughs> yes. if you're a Dairy Queen, yes. still has the cotton candy blizzards. I don't know if they all do, but the ones by my house do. They're so good. They have like the little crunchy cotton candy pieces. Whoa. It's delicious. The one by me has a few that they just make, and one of them is banana pudding. And it's so good. It sounds so tasty. It's like banana pudding with ice cream mixed into it. That's obviously, cool. I guess, but a man oh man is a delicious. I didn't think you could make banana pudding better, but yeah, putting ice cream in it. Oh, it's so good. I'm that's so good how you right make now. it better. Okay, so that's the end of the episode. I feel like it's a real mixed bag. Let's rate it. Okay. Mysteriousness. Actually kind of mysterious. Not the first mystery. Obviously no. that like doesn't even count. No. But I think your last one. <coughs> It's mysterious enough, and Roger's death, Roger's is, death is, is pretty mysterious. mysterious. So both of the the murders are mysterious. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Me too. Um, reenactments. I felt like we're pretty good. The ones They're in solid. Rogers are a little silly, but yeah. maybe the details of that case are just a little silly. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe that's what that guy really seemed like. I don't know. I think they took the Pearl Harbor reenactments very seriously, extremely seriously. They had like this whole like audio montage at the beginning where like the guys running around like i need to get a gun yeah it's it's kind of short there's no ammunition it's almost like a uh, first person view of what it would have been like to be there so that was fairly well done i would give it a thumbs up for reenactments i guess yeah i think so um fashion uh i'm gonna say sideways because <laughs> really the only thing that stands out to me is eliza yeah, and her mink coat. Yeah, she's got style, and that pizzazz helped her rob people. So, good for her. I kind of... Reenactment Deborah, I think, had some style. Well, that's true, too. So, maybe that goes all the way to a thumbs up. Yeah. You know what the Liza mystery almost makes me think of, like, an 80s Nancy Drew book? And maybe that's why I like it so much. Oh, a little bit, yeah. Because it's, it's, a, it's a mystery, but no one dies, and... It was mostly just rich people getting stolen from, I think. Maybe that guy who was selling his mint coat really needed the money, which, uh, that would be sad, but... It doesn't really seem like he did. No, those pants seemed expensive. <laughs> his house seemed pretty nice. He lived by a gated community. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think he's all right. <laughs> he did fine. So, I, and I loved those 80s Nancy Drew books where she was constantly going on a ski vacation and discovering smugglers <laughs> or art forgers. <laughs> totally. And I really thought my adult life was going to be more like that, so... Well, now you have an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. I know, and it's kind of worked kinda. out for me. Kind of. In a way. Um, Robert Stack, you said he looked clammy, so... In that one segment, he just looks like he has, like, a cold... Sw- I just feel like he was a little under the weather during filming you know that what? segment. Speaking of someone who's a little under the weather, it happens to the best of us. So I'm going to give him a thumbs up for showing up. Yeah. Even when he wasn't feeling well. I I agree completely. I deserve a thumbs up. You do. <laughs> you do. Everybody toss the hands in the chair. <laughs> deserves a thumbs up. 
Okay. How do you rate it out of a possible it's five? so Robert mixed. Sex. I hate the first one. I hate it. But I do really like Liza's, and the two deaths are mysterious. So, like, three and a half? Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's how I often rate books that I, like... That you're like, well, I like this part, but I didn't like this. So, yeah. I'm going to say it's it's more good than bad. Mm -hmm. So let's say three and a half. I think that's more than fair. I think that's solid. And Liza, wherever you are, I kind of hope you're listening. Right in. Yeah. Right in. Do you still have those mink coats? Yeah. How? What is your style like these days? Yeah, I hope it doesn't still include fur, but if you still have those mink coats, we won't hold it against you. Yeah. Vintage furs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do with them? Compost them? Yeah, exactly. Seems like a waste. They're very warm. Yeah. All right. Do you have a recommendation? I do. I was remember. So I used to have this vintage coat that was just like fuzzy. It was not real fur. It was just like a fuzzy coat. And I was walking down the street and this guy spat at me. (laughs) And I like for the longest time was like, what the fuck? Like I can't. And then I was like, oh, he actually thinks this is a fur coat. It must have been convincing. It or he was just real dumb. At all. He was just dumb. But okay. That was that was a little mystery in my life that it took me way too long to solve. What if that was just a person walking through life never knowing that fake fur exists? <laughs> Maybe. <coughs> Maybe. Also, I don't know. Like, ask. Are you sure? Should you ask people before things before you spit, spit on them? <laughs> Make a, a, an educated decision before you spit on like, someone. No way this Are you a real boy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe people are still debating whether or not we should be punching Nazis. <laughs> Punch them all. Spit on them. Do whatever you have to do. <coughs> They're Nazis. <laughs> Did Indiana Jones teach you nothing? Oh my god. Well, taught man to nothing, but what about the rest of you? Well, that's why I didn't watch it, but I still know punching Nazis is the right thing to do. Exactly. Okay, so my recommendation for this week is that over the weekend, I went with our resident history nerd, Rochelle, to the Bakken Museum here in Minneapolis, which is a small museum devoted to electricity. You might have not even known such a museum existed. I've been meaning to go for quite a while because it has an exhibition on Mary Shelley that I wanted to see uh, because of the tenuous connection between (laughs) Frankenstein and electricity. Uh, It is a very cute museum. It's set up in this historic home that belonged to a guy, someone, Bakken, I can't remember his first name, but he was involved in developing the pacemaker. So he had this house and he actually donated it to the Girl Scouts upon his death and uh they used it for their headquarters for a while but couldn't handle the upkeep so they sold it and it eventually became this museum about electricity and like how it's used in medical science and stuff like that it is more geared to children i will say it's like got a lot of hands-on stuff there's a lot of like audio visual elements more than like historic objects and it's pretty small, but we actually had a really good dorky time looking at all, like, old historic instruments, and there's, like, a theremin, and it takes you through, like, different medical inventions. There's a little part that's just things that were made in Minnesota, which apparently was an innovator in, like, prosthetics, and we also used to make asthma cigarettes. <laughs> that sounds counterproductive. Yeah, before um, the inhaler was invented. <laughs> Cigarettes. cigarettes. I know. It's pretty great. And the um, exhibition on Mary Shelley is really cool. And I appreciate the that, that, cool. that they um, 
put such a prominent focus on a woman who essentially invented science fiction. <coughs> and they have um, they have a room where you like learn different stuff about Mary Shelley, and it has like a little puppet theater where you can put on a puppet show and <laughs> just like make your own little monsters and blah blah blah. And then they have a room that you sit in, and it like puts on this little show that tells you the story of Frankenstein. And it's like a very good use of the space. I thought all the stuff there was very well designed. The signage is very informative and helpful. There is outside actually an like herbal medicine garden, which is in the tradition of old timey medical schools used to have gardens of herbs used for treatment so they were kind of inspired by that to have an herb garden outside which i thought was really nice it's adorable and it has a cute little gift shop you can buy honey that's actually like from that museum property which i think is so cool because i'm very sentimental about honey so i don't we had a good time it's ten dollars for adults which i think is pretty reasonable. reasonable for a small museum it's cheaper for students and seniors and kids and it definitely if you have kids i highly recommend it that's a really good recommendation. So that's my recommendation. Go my, Minnesota. My recommendation is quite different. Uh, I'm recommending a, a book. You're recommending Don't Get a Cold in I'm August. I'm 100% recommending Don't Get a Cold everyone, in August. I had one. Everyone has one. So many people are sick. I don't know. It's like a curse upon us. I don't <laughs> understand. But that that's also my recommendation. But also, I'm recommending a book that I'm surprised I liked so much. Liz will never read it. This is about Ebola. Yeah, I read Richard <laughs> Preston's new book about Ebola. And I had said, I think on this podcast, that I'm never going to read The Hot Zone because it's known to be heavily fictionalized. So I don't really know. I can't say, being like not an epidemiologist, if Richard Preston can be trusted to tell a factual story about Ebola. But... I will say it, it seemed factual to me. I did Google, like, fact check. It's called uh, Crisis in the Red Zone, um, and it's about the 2014 Ebola outbreak in West uh, West Africa. Did anyone bleed from their eyeballs? No, no one bleeds from their eyeballs. Um, it seemed like he had a more measured approach to how he described it. Uh, it's, Ebola is a gross, terrifying disease, so I don't think you need to fictionalize it. Right. I, I couldn't find anything on the internet fact-checking it. Everything praised it highly. It is an exceptionally good book. I Honestly, it's one of the best books I've read this year. It is gross, so it's not for the squeamish, for sure. It's about Ebola. I'm going to pass. But I just thought the way he told the story from the perspective of the people that were working there, particularly particularly in um, one hospital. So um, there's one hospital that was sort of the epicenter of the Ebola outbreak in this area. And they, because they had a uh, level four wing, like an area where you could treat a level four uh, disease for loss of fever, I think is what it's called. So a lot of Ebola patients went there and a lot of people got sick. Um, a lot of the hospital staff got sick and he, he, he tells a story in such a poignant way. I also learned a lot, I guess, from living through it and from the, I mean, obviously from America. Sure. Um, and watching the news coverage of it. I, I mean, everyone remembers seeing the people in the space suits. And I guess I never thought about it much, but if I had to think about it, I probably would have assumed that the international community really poured resources into West Africa to fight Ebola. But that's not the case at all. Uh-huh. West Africa was pretty much abandoned by their own government, by uh, their own governments, by the international community. Um, especially this well, one, fuck. the Kenema government hospital, which is where most of the story takes place, was really the main doctor there who was who lived, grew up in the area. Um, he was pretty much fought for 
almost the entire time to get just $3 in hazard pay for the Ebola nurses that worked in the hospital because the nurses and the hospital staff that didn't work in the Lhasa wing were just fleeing the area. And they had other patients to care for, not just the Ebola patients. They had the whole hospital. And he was trying desperately to, like, get them just, like, $3 a day in hazard pay. And, like, they didn't even give him the time of day. Like, just things like that that he sort of weaves into the story. Um, it's really gripping. It's really sad. Um, but it's also like incredible. The guy, the American who you might know from news stories who came was a doctor that was working in a bowl in West Africa, got Ebola and was cured. Oh, like right. his story yeah. of getting cured from Ebola is like fucking amazing. I'm, I did no idea. There's all this stuff about experimental drugs. It's like, it's wild. I highly recommend it. Um, there's currently an Ebola outbreak happening in Africa, and it's really terrifying. And I, it's, it's the hear about how they weren't given the resources that they need to the point where they were like reusing suits and like mm. how so many people could. God damn, that lives would have been saved if they just had like some basic resources. And it's a really sad story. Kind of, it, I'm making it sound like a bummer, and it is it's a story about Ebola, but it's also like it's not a lighthearted, fun romp about Ebola, but it's a bit. Uh, in a way, it's uplifting because, like, you really, like, th- not only was there so much, like, fear um, in the people that were fighting this disease, but ver- a lot of courage and, like, some really harrowing stories about people trying to save each other's lives. And it's just ex- ex- extremely good. I highly recommend it. I might actually, like, reread it. It was so good. Wow. Um, and I'm hoping I'm not recommending a book that has factual inaccuracies in it, like The Hot Zone. But I... I don't know. From my uneducated opinion, it seemed like he did an okay job with this one. Okay, what do you think about this book, though, that I have on the table? So, this is a book that I haven't read, but Liz purchased it. It looks like it could be an award winner, maybe a New York Times bestseller. This is called Sherlock Bones by John Keane. Uh, as you may suspect, there's dogs on the cover. Uh, lots of dogs. Oh, there's a cat, too. Uh, there's two cats. It's true stories of a guy who finds missing pets. These are true stories? Yeah. I had no idea they were true stories. That changes everything. <laughs> it was in the... So, Rochelle and I also went to Uncle Hugo's bookstore, <laughs> which is a large uh, sci-fi used paperback bookstore here in Minneapolis. It's pretty amazing if you've never been. They have a uh, small true crime section, and in that section is this book. Sherlock this came Bones. from the true crime section. Yes. I have to read the back. This is fucking hilarious. John Keane, alias Sherlock Bones, <laughs> is the first and only professional pet sleuth in the country. With the help of his sidekick, an old English sheepdog named Paco, he tracks down more than 100 runaway runaways yearly. Sherlock Bones contains Keane's most fascinating cases, the hunt for the world's most expensive greyhound, the hair-raising rescue of a beautiful golden retriever from a dog napper, the eccentric, quote, cat lady who was able to break through the grief of a young boy, and many more stories of people and pets as suspenseful as they are heartwarming, plus a special 10-step method for recovering a missing, missing or stolen pet. With information on newspaper ads, animal shelters, rewards, and poster campaigns. And then there's a little blurb. Entertaining yarns. Funny and touching. That was from Publishers Weekly. I See, my parents never really taught me the value of a dollar, so <laughs> I had to buy this book. How much did you pay? Did you pay literally a dollar no, for this book? No, I paid a whole four dollars. Four dollars? I could have gotten four Junior Bacon Cheeseburgers at Wendy's. <laughs> Instead, I got that. I might give it to my grandma, but I also might read it and I can give it to my grandma. I took a picture. I'll put it on Instagram. Because 
just look at it. How could I resist Sherlock Bones? Sherlock Bones. And this must, this sheepdog must be his sidekick, Paco. And then he, I like, this is sort of, I don't know, whoever designed this cover is very clever. There's a, a magnifying glass, and in the magnifying glass, you see Sherlock Bones looking through a magnifying glass. Oh, that's how you know. He's it's surrounded good. by little dogs. Look at this. Look at the eyes on this little chihuahua. <laughs> this is a sassy chihuahua. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the back of Uncle Hugo's is Uncle Edgar's, I believe, which is a gigantic mystery <coughs> bookstore. Oh, okay. So if you're more into mysteries, you should check out. They have everything. They just have stacks and stacks of stuff. Some things are just, like, in boxes. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I went to a lot of used paperback bookstores as a kid, and sadly something that's kind of died out. So it's nice to go and just get that a hit of that smell. The start of this chapter reads, It was only Tuesday, but this was already shaping up as my week for attracting society's fringe element. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a great read. People refer to this guy as Mr. Bones. <laughs> he answers the phone, and Mr. Bones, a voice on the phone, said, <laughs> How could I resist? Tell me. Tell me how I could have resisted. Yeah, I, I'll say $4 might have been a little steep, but I still needed it. I think we'll leave you with that, everyone. Yeah, I think that's it. Sorry, I sound like, I don't even know what I sound like, a frog. <laughs> I sound terrible, I apologize. A sexy frog. Oh, a sexy frog. I'm sure this is not a sexy voice. But um, let's we, plug our stuff. Oh, yeah. We Remember how we do shit. that? I so forgot. You can listen to us on a bunch of platforms. We also have a website. That's perhaps it's you.com. You should listen there. You should give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We this only- has been demanding five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts on Twitter, and it seems to be working. <laughs> it's been working coming. well. Thank you very much, everybody that's left us <laughs> a five-star review. The only type of review we accept Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Perhaps It's You. If you have a few extra dollars that you are willing to part with for some cool shit, you can throw it our way on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Perhaps It's You. At the $1 level, you get some cool stuff. It's quite a bargain. You get an extra episode each month. This month, we're doing the first episode of The X-Files, I think. Yes. Um, finally you it's also finally get happening. instant access to our back catalog i think we have like 17 episodes real, or something it's now. a way better deal than buying sherlock bones i yeah. gotta say you're gonna get <laughs> it's cheaper than sherlock it's bones cheaper too. than for sherlock bones and you'll get more for your money you which also, we really we really pride ourselves on our patreon being a good deal if you're eliza montgomery and have a lot of extra money to spare you can give us five or ten dollars a month and you get some other cool stuff like a coloring sheet each month um for ten dollars you get some cool shit each quarter yeah uh, it's it, we're the best bargain in town, I think. Absolutely. Um, send us a spooky story at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail dot com. We're collecting them for our our uh, finale episode. Um, yeah. And if you've read Sherlock Bones, let us know. Is your car haunted like mine? Uh, your car is haunted. I think my car might be haunted. Should I save it for the finale yes, episode? Yes, please. Okay. It's not that cool of a story, but doesn't I'll matter. It. Still save it. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. All right, bye everyone. Bye, Eliza Montgomery. Solve some mysteries. Bye.